Amen. Amen. I watched it already and got it to me again. So just amazing. Rob, thank you for that video and that presentation on that. If we could have our kiddos that are going to be going downstairs, Miss Kiki's going to have an awesome, awesome time for you today. I like that, Dan. You can keep playing. Not, not, you don't have to do it till the end, not like last time. But. You know, it's, it's kind of funny. We, we, we think sometimes in our lives where we just, life's going to go on forever here on earth, and uh, we plan that way, we live that way. We just, we never think, you know, the Bible says it's appointed once for a man to die, and, and also that our times are in God's hands, amen? And we see a charge that God gave um, to Joshua here. Moses had passed away, and, and how many know Moses dying would be a pretty huge event? I mean, anybody dying is a huge event, but the leader of this nation that was the leader to lead them into the promised land, and now Joshua was to take over, and Joshua had to take some real internal stock inside himself, just like all of us have to do. When we have things that we're hit with, when we're hit with life and situations, we, uh, we don't know if it's, if it's in there. And we don't know if we're going to have the capability to do it. And I want to read this charge to you this morning, but before we do that, I want us to pray. Now, let, let us be mindful right now. If you can close your eyes for a moment right now. I want you to have, understand, today is a call to courage. And wherever you are at today, maybe you're on mission and you're on point and you're going places. It doesn't take away from the fact that you need to still hear God's voice. You might be wandering right now in a wilderness and you might wonder, just is there even a God out there to help me with my situation? This right now is a call to courage for you and a call to courage for me to say, you know what, greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. And then I'm not to fear what's going on around in my life but that I can be strong and very courageous to the Lord. I want you to close your eyes for a moment. I want to read this to you. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said, Moses, my servant is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I am giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set your foot, you will be on land I have given you. From the Negev wilderness to the south of Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates River to the east of the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. For I will be with you as I was with Moses, and I will not fail you or abandon you. Be strong and courageous, for you, the one, you are the one who I will lead these people to possess all the land I swore their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning you to the right or the left, and then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so that you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Lord, we pray today for strength and a spirit of courage. Lord, when we are surrounded by darkness and dark situations we face and questions about our very existence, 
God, I pray today that there would be something that clicks in our hearts and settles. That, God, we can be strong and courageous in you. And the land that you've given to us is guaranteed. And God, I thank you that everyone in this place is not an afterthought and is not an accident. And even in the circumstances we face today, they're not accidental or incidental. They weren't based on luck. They weren't based on a roll of the dice. But God, our very steps are ordered of you. And so today, we take your charge like you charged Joshua. And we hold dearly to your word. And we allow you, Father, to do great things through us. For our strength is not in our own wills. Our strength is not in our own ability to beat something or get this or go after that. Our strength lies and the very grace of God. And thank you for your grace. For grace is the ability to overcome. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. 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 You know, I think about passing a torch off. You know, Joshua had been spending time with Moses, obviously years, at least 40 years uh, in the wilderness. And Joshua, thank you, that was really beautiful. That was really fun to pray with that in the background. Uh, Joshua was uh, with Moses. Now remember, I want you to get a picture of Joshua and his life when all the Israelites would kind of wander back and kind of stay back and say, "We, we don't really understand this, God. We don't like the noise going on there. We don't like all the smoke and the craziness. You go get the answers for us and we'll stay back here. God's invitation was there. And guess what we see Joshua doing throughout his time with Moses? He was Moses' assistant. He would go up there with him. He would hear the prayers and the groanings and everything going on. He started to learn. He started to grab hold of it. He started to come alongside of Moses and start to get this understanding of leadership and going to a place that we've never been to but that you see in your heart and mind. Isn't that pretty neat? Av Guinness wrote, the torch, the torch's flame must be handed over, burning brightly. There must be no dropping of the baton. So Moses hands over to Joshua. Joshua hands to his successors, Samuel to Saul, David to Solomon, Elijah to Elijah, the apostle Paul to Timothy, his son in the faith. And you know what Jesus does with us? He passes the torch on to us when Christ dies and he rises again. He says, I'm sending the Holy Spirit. I'm sending you now out into the world to be little Christ. Isn't that pretty amazing? He passes the torch on to us. You know, here's the neat thing with that baton. Jesus didn't drop the baton when he handed it to us. Isn't that neat? That's pretty neat. It wasn't dropped. If it was dropped, we wouldn't have the, the huge revivals of faith and everything going on. And it's amazing that that baton, no matter what happens and no matter what trips take place, that baton is still secure, and it's beautiful for all of us. But the one thing I want us to recognize in our life as we look at this charge, and I want us to look at the depth of it, that this is not just a casual moment, but that the Lord is charging Joshua. Do you think that he had something in his mind? Do you think that with the way, G, or the way God kept saying over and over again, be strong and courageous, don't be afraid, do you think that Joshua was dealing with some problems in his own mind? you think maybe Joshua had some 
Is this really going to happen? Are we going to be able to do this? Are we going to be able to cross this Jordan River? Are we going to be able to do this? And over and over again, God reminds him. He doesn't say, come on, Joshua, you have the program. He is simply stating to him, Joshua, be strong, be courageous. Joshua, don't be afraid. What I promised to Moses, I promise to you. Folks, that's a beautiful thing for us to understand. When we have our relationship with Christ and the batons passed to us, he said, what I promised to those disciples, I promise to you today. Turn to someone and say, you got a lot of promises to get into. One of the most beautiful verses in here I love, he says, I will never, I will not leave you, and I won't forsake you. I'm not going to leave you. Some of us, we get into our messes, and we're not really recognizing the moment, but realize that Christ is there at every step of the way. He has never left you, and that he has never forsaken you. It's so wonderful. I'll get us right to this. What we need above all in the church today is for each Christian to have a profound personal knowledge and experience of God himself and a deep knowledge of Scripture as his authoritative word, knowing God himself. Now here's the great thing with the leadership even in our church. I was thinking of the men and the women of the leaders of our church. I, I, I started seeing their faces. I started seeing my dad. I started seeing my mom. I started seeing Monty and Paulette and Jim and Denvis and these beautiful leaders. You know, those people that I just mentioned, by the way, those leaders that have surrounded me and Jim and all these people, you know, they've known me since I've been like five years old, right? Little little guy, little, 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 little dude just running around there in the church. They've known me for that long, and, and it's just beautiful how the, the leadership builds up. And I think, I thought of like the three, the three women in my life. My wife, who is just amazing for me as my right hand with the church, and just building this church up and praying for it, bleeding with me on it. And do you know, I have my mom. Everyone say, hi mom. It's not Mother's Day anymore. And then I have, I have Paulette, and I was telling my dad, I'm like, it's so, these women are so important. Jesus had the women in his ministry, and I've got the women in my ministry that really helped me and build me up. And I tell you what, those three people, there's not, those three people pray for me more than anybody in the world. And I feel it every day. Recognizing the moment is having an understanding that right now where you sit in life, that the baton has been passed to you right now. And you say, well, what does this baton entail? What does this torch entail? What does this pass off? And, and I always say this, everybody has their own thing that they're going to have to tie their boots and they're going to have to say, I'm going into this promised land for my life, whatever it is for you. It's, it's a wonderful thing, but you must know this. You must know God yourself. Some of those people and their names I... Named out, obviously there's other people that are very significant to me. But I want you to know those people know God. They don't know about God. It wasn't about a theological class that they took. They know God. And they understand the call to courage. Be strong and of good courage. One thing that you're going to have to start doing today right now and making up your mind is you're going to have to start encouraging yourself. Be strong and courageous literally comes the word encourage yourself. Has anybody ever had to encourage yourself before? 
This isn't a kind of encouragement that says, hey, you know what, it's a good day, come on everybody, it's a happy day, let's all be happy. You know, let's, let's uh, make some music and let's all be happy today. That's not encouragement. Now, you might be able to have a cute, positive, you know, we have the positive self-image gurus out there. We have the Oprahs that remind us about those things, and that's wonderful, and that's cute. But that has nothing to do with your eternity with Christ. <clears throat> Turn real quick to 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6, and let's see what encouragement really means. I don't want to give you Hallmark card encouragement today. I want to give you something grounded, not on good thoughts, but on eternal significance for your life. Because it doesn't matter where you, wherever you are, your age, young person today, if you're listening to me, you're going to even have to, at a young age, you're going to have to learn how to encourage yourself. Old person today, you're going to have to remind yourself, hey, I might need to start encouraging myself. David had just gotten back, and they had crushed Ziklag, and the town was burned. Everyone say Ziklag. So in verse 1 of 1 Samuel chapter 30, three days later when David and his men arrived at their hometown of Ziklag, they found that the Amalekites had made a raid into the Negev and Ziklag and had crushed Ziklag and burned it to the ground. And they carried off the women and children and everyone else, but without killing anyone. And when David and his men saw the ruins and realized what happened to their families, they wept until they couldn't weep no more. David's two wives, Anuim and Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal from Carmel, were among those captured. And David was now in great danger because all of his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters, and they began of talking of stoning him. Huh. What does your Bible say? Read that next part out loud. What was that? He wept until he couldn't weep no more. And if that wasn't enough from the defeat that they experienced, the town burned to the ground, everything ashes. Wives and children are missing. They have no idea what's happened. To them, their assessment was simply they're, they're dead and gone. Life's over with. Not only that, but now his own men, his mighty men, are so angry and bitter. Have you ever been around some people that have been so angry and bitter? And they want to blame the other person next to them about the problems in life. We get a lot of that in people with families and situations, and everybody's wanting to throw stones at people, and we'll get rid of that person because that person's the problem. Here, this leader, David, not only has experienced the pain of his own loss and the loss of his men, but now he's experiencing the bitter rage towards him, and they said, you caused all this, and now you're going to get stoned and you're dying. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. Now watch what the next part is, and it's an amazing place, because many of us stop right here. We have a loss, we have a setback, and then we get into a fatalist mindset that says, 
This is my lot for life. God, thank you for your sovereign plans for my life. It was a good life. It was good. But I guess this is the end. Turn to someone and say, this is the end. you got to say it like that so we can do movie style. This is the end. Come on. We're all sitting on our hind pots thinking life's over. Come on. Be strong and courageous. But David found strength in the Lord. And then he said to Abathar the priest, bring me the ephod. So what's ephod? You grab hold of this. And you said, now I'm going to speak to God. David had an interesting title. Not only was a king, but David was also a priest. He had a priestly role. Give me the ephod. I'm going to speak to God right now. That wasn't a period there. I don't know if you saw in your text. It was an exclamation point. Abathar, give me the ephod. Give me the ephod. Let me go through you. Abathar, it's fine. I need to talk to God. I don't know. We're a little desperate now. Not only has everything been sacked and everything taken and every future that we thought we had, all the retirement plans and everything, it's ruined in this moment. We don't have a future. My children are gone. Give me the ephod. And then David asked the Lord, this is after he has strengthened himself in the Lord. This is after the setback. This is after everything. He strengthens himself. Basically, he might have said things like this. I have no idea what he prayed in the rawness of the moment. But maybe it was like, Lord, I'm going to trust you in the middle of this. I don't get this. I don't dare try to understand all this stuff. You know, that's our problem in the church. We want to give people answers about life. Sometimes you don't have answers. You know, when you talk to people and your friends, and they're going through some junk right now, you might just want to sit there with them and ch- stop trying to be a Job friend and just pray with them and be strengthened in the Lord for a moment. I don't get this. I don't get it. I don't know why this stuff happens. Should I chase them? After this band of raiders, and will I catch them? In other words, Lord, you want me to leave this be? Or do you want me to attack? Because some of us, we automatically go, when we've experienced defeat and we've been knocked down, we immediately just go into the mode of God's got it all worked out and we'll sit here. Do you want me to go after them, God? Do you want me to attack the people that attacked us? And the Lord told him, yes, you go after them. And you will surely recover everything that was taken from you. And so David and his 600 men set out, and they came to the brook of Basur. But 200 of the men were too exhausted to cross the brook. So David continued the pursuit with 400 men. Folks, if you didn't realize the chapter before, they had just got done with one of the greatest battles of their life. 
Along the way, they found an Egyptian man in the field and brought him to David, and they gave him some bread to eat and water to drink. Isn't it neat how when the Lord has you pursuing those dreams in your life and recovering those things which the enemy takes, he also sets up ways to provide for you, to sustain you, and give you energy to continue moving forward into the call of God for your life. Taking it back. You'll recover. You'll recover from this. Folks, I challenge you today in your spiritual walk and being strong and courageous to pick up the ephod and you speak to God and you say, God, do you want me just to lie in this mess or should I rise up and go after the things that you called me to? When you experience defeat in your life, don't plan funerals. Plan comebacks, will you, for once? Young one, today... You might be facing setbacks in your own life, in your own heart, and defeats where you're thinking about things that mentally you might have been traumatized or you might have been hurt from friends at school. You might have different things going on and you're saying, I don't get this, I'm confused. If you would strengthen yourself, Lord, and you simply do this. You don't have to have some fancy praise say, Lord, I don't understand what's going on in my life, but God, do you want me to get up and go after the things for my life that you have for me? Do it. Turn to me and say, do it, please. If you don't do it, you will die there. If you don't do it, your life will now become nothing but a memory of previous victories, and now you will be at that place where you'll say, well, boy, if we would have just, oh man, that zigzag moment, and we will create excuses in the middle of our own personal zigzags. We will create insulation there and we will settle there and we will burn with everything else there. But build your life on the solid foundation of Jesus Christ. I'm glad you have positive thoughts and positive energy, but you need far more than that in the world in which we live today. You need the foundation of Jesus Christ in a relationship with Him. Number two, which you're going to have to do, or B, shall I do B in, a, in my statement here? B, if we're, what was A anyway? No, I don't Stand up to intimidation. Anybody been intimidated in here before? You know, I always make that joke in the sales stuff and somebody gives me an, an answer, no, I've said it before. Don't take no from someone who doesn't even have the ability to give you yes. Many of us take no's from people who don't even have the ability to give us the answer yes. You know, it's like when you call, you call the tech one Tech 2, and I, 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 when I call if I have computer problems, I just want to go, can I have Tech 3, please? Because all you're going to do is filter through and answer my questions, and you're not going to get my problem solved. Can I get a hearty amen there? But we must stand up to intimidation. And the church right now is being pushed around in the culture and being intimidated by all sorts of thoughts and Ideas that they say, well, our ideas, need, you need to conform to us, and you need to conform to what's going on, and you need to stand up to intimidation. Jack Hayford writes on what he calls the spirit of intimidation. When passivity towards a trying circumstance is defined as patience, and spiritual opposition is unidentified or power prayer unengaged, or worse, when the doctrine of divine sovereignty is invoked over tragedy, 
And a faith that is actually fatalism manifests in the sloth born of spiritual ignorance. Isn't that interesting? Faith is no longer faith. Now, now we get into fatalism. We have circumstances in our life and we have a fatalistic view of life. Thank God for the Davids and the Joshuas that didn't have a fatalistic view and Joshua strengthened himself in the Lord and said, you know what, those same promises that were Moses, I'm grabbing onto, those are mine and we are entering the promised land. Thank God for people full of faith and not people full of fatalism ideas. For example, when setbacks, pain, or discouragement can easily lean a person's soul towards weariness that a long trial or undiscerned demonic assault can produce, a lying whisper may suggest patient endurance, brother. When instead, it's time we rose with a passionate heart to the Father, it's very possible that something we're facing right now calls for passion, not patience. See, that's something you might be dealing with right now. It might not require patience anymore. It might require you actually to have some energy and get excited about potential for your life. That is the difference in a person filled with faith versus someone who is fatalistic in their idea. Unbelievable. Don't cave to difficulties. I love what 2 Corinthians 2.14 says. Thanks be to God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ. He always causes us to triumph in Him. There is always victory in God. Not sometimes, not half the time, but all the time there is victory in Jesus. Stand up to intimidation. Hit someone in the arm real quick and say, stand up to intimidation. Don't say it too loud. Don't sound too excited about it either. We need some more passion in the church, don't we? Emotion. That's emotionalism, Pastor. Please, we need some emotionalism. We need some dancers. We need some clappers. We need some energy. We need some people excited about God today. We got one woo-woo. That was good. That was a good one. Don't cave to difficulties. Anybody got any difficult stuff going on in your life right now? Young one, you got some difficult stuff going on? Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Hey, Joshua, every place that your sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you as I have said. But here's the thing, if we're going to get out of fatalism and we want to get some passion back for the moment of our life and we want to have like David did, Ziklag's been conquered. Boy, you know, what kind of positive things can you draw from Ziklag, right? Well, at least we had some good times there, Johnny. You get stoned real fast talking like that in front of Ziklag. <laughs> no, you better have a plan, leader. You want some victory in your life, what you're going to have to do is not necessarily have 
just the patient endurance, but now you're going to have to do something that's not very comfortable to your flesh right now, and you're going to have to have some passion, because it is not all up to God for you. You have to partner with God. There's a big difference. Jack Hayford says, I'm not defining triumph as a free trial, or a trial-free life. Neither am I telling you every victory is untinged by the blood of battle or will be garnered without pain. But I am saying that victory is possessed by the passionate. It isn't served on a plate of predestination that bypasses the process of faith's partnership with God's mightiness. See, you know what? We, we, we get into that, don't we, that predestination stuff. That we, It doesn't bypass, predestination doesn't bypass the process of partnering God through faith. Doesn't do it. You still gotta have faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. I don't care what your doctrine is today. If you don't have faith, you're not pleasing God in your life. Folks, let me ask you this what's been intimidating you lately? What's been intimidating you? I want to give you one little little trick. You know what you do to bullies? You punch them square in the nose. I know they don't teach you that in the PC schools anymore. But you punch a bully in the nose really hard, as hard as you can. And then pray that he goes to the ground. And then you run. I'll say that. But you do swing. And you swing for the fences. And your life spiritually with the devil... You're going to have to come in conversation and you're going to have to start dictating terms once again and you're going to have to wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers. If you want to get the spirit of intimidation, whatever your wall is right now, whatever the flood is, whatever you're trying to get across so that you can continue passing the baton, you're going to have to wrestle with the devil. You're going to have to engage in spiritual Warfare. You're going to have to speak things and against things that are going on in your mind and your heart. That's how come I love about faith. It knows no age. You don't start doing this when you're 26. You start engaging in warfare the minute that you know the power of Christ and the name of everything. My mom taught us growing up the name of Jesus, plead the blood of Jesus, the name of Jesus. My first encounter with spiritual warfare, as you very well know, was at 12 years old when I got to look at a demon that looked just like a werewolf, and I saw him with my own eyes. I promise you it wasn't Little Caesar's pepperoni night that night. And I realized at that moment that this wasn't cute little stories. I realized in this moment that this was an idea, a little trivial thought, that we put alongside all our other good, happy thoughts and happy times. I realized that I was in a battle. And the minute that you start realizing today that you're in a battle, that is some of the most wonderful things you will have. You'll be able to move forward because you'll have reality now in place that it's deeper than walls and all the stuff you see with your own eyes. You'll have eyes of faith and you will start to fight against the intimidation that's coming against you and your very life. Trust me, folks, it doesn't matter where you're at. I'm type A, but let me tell you something. I have things that I can get intimidated with, intimidated by, and things that I have to wrestle with and speak over. And I have to encourage myself on the foundation that I can't think about all these things. I have to put my mind on Christ. What's been intimidating you lately 
It's time for you to attack and speak against the spirit of intimidation even right now. Even right now. Next thing is walk according to the word. Joshua's strength and courage would falter if he didn't have obedience to God's word. See, what we've done in the Western faith now is we said, Jesus loves you. Turn to somewhere and say, Jesus loves you. He does. He loves you so much, he wants you to become more like him. It's no different for you and I. We want success, but we don't want success because, or we don't get success because we don't submit ourselves to God's Word. Folks, I challenge you to get into God's Word, and I mean this with all severity. If you're not in God's Word currently, how on earth do you think you're going to have victory against the spiritual forces of this dark world? How? How? And what will happen is people will continually come and ask for help and figure this out and this out. And then you get back to the very baseline questions with people in their daily obedience. You say, man, have you even read God's Word? And there is a long pause. Oh, brother, you don't know what's going on. I mean, have you even gotten in? Have you gone in to see the vast them for you right now. They're huge. If you don't know about them, you might want to start figuring them out because they're going to give you some victory that you didn't know you had. You might be in a zigzag right now. There might be some victory on the inside of you that God wants to learn. And folks, if you have a hard time reading, I say this because I'm not some great reader. I read because I have to. Trust me. Me and Kevin were joking. I'll, me and Kevin do a little mini book club thing. Isn't it pretty fun, Kevin? We'll talk, we'll do, we'll do books. I'm like, Kevin, we should read this. I'm like, what page are you? He's like, I'm done already. I'm like, what? So I'll just get my information from Kevin. I'm like, it's a great book idea. The cover looks great. Kevin, you should read this for me. <laughs> Walk according to the word. I don't take this lightly. You know what? If, 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 if the word of God comes hard for you to understand this, I get this. You know what? This can be overwhelming sometimes. You know, read, read a psalm a day. I challenge you to just read a psalm a day. Read a proverb a day. 31 days in a month sometimes. 31 days past September. What? What is that? I don't know. Your life will be really difficult and success will be really hard for you without obedience to God's word. It's impossible. Because you cannot formulate your own opinions of your own faith. You don't have these cute little doors of options for your own version of Christianity. And that's what, what secular society has done. They say, well, you have all these little things you can buffet on and choices of faith that you could just choose that. And, you know, it's so cute. You can have this cute Jesus because Jesus loves everything and everybody gets to be happy and we get to do all these wonderful things together. That's not how, that's not life. That might work in your college campus. But when your tail goes off the college campus and you go out into the real world, then you understand that there are certain rules and truths that you must abide your life by. Principles to live by. Parents, I challenge you right now in 2017, turn your home into a church. 
give your kids what they need here. Not enough time in a day. Church never was meant to be child babysitting service. Rod Dreyer, that means maintaining regular times for prayer. Heaven forbid we pray. When's the last time you prayed with someone in your house? This is a charge now. Don't raise your hand. Anyway, please don't. When's the last time you grabbed someone and prayed with someone? When's the last time you blessed someone? When's the last time you opened up the Word of God to say, God, what is your Word speaking to me? We want success? Come on. We want victory? This means regular reading of Scripture and stories from the lives of the saints. Christian heroes and heroines from ages past. Christian kids need Christian heroes, don't they? Marco Samarni writes, he's a lay leader in Italy. They need to know that following Jesus radically is not an impossible dream. Living this way means keeping the life of the church first. Even if you keep your kid out of a sports program that schedules games during your church worship service. Cricket sounding. Even more importantly, your kids need to see you and your spouse sacrificing attendance at events if they conflict with church. And they need to see that you're serious about your spiritual life. You're not spiritual, then your kids sure won't be. Now they might. Thank God for praying grandmas. But, that pass-off that's going on right now, and you can't avoid statistics, with the millennials not coming back to the church, and the reality that millennials aren't going back, I think it's all predicated that we just don't have church going on in our homes. Not transferring. Don't matter to mom and dad. Why should it matter to the kids? Right, kids? Give me an amen, kids. No, the kids are amen and dad. No. <laughs> Stop it, Pastor. Stop. You know, one of the things Anne has done, she's actually been really good at this. Thank God for godly women in your life. Godly wives. She really had a conviction to make sure that our kids would have their own special Bibles. It's amazing to me how illiterate we are in our generation that Christian kids born and raised in churches don't even have their own personal Bible. And what's so neat, what I would find, is that we would give the kids their Bibles and it would become personal to them and we wanted them to have Bibles that would be applicable to their faith and their growth. You know, i got to tell you, I'm not a King James version. If you're a King James person, don't stone me today. But God, Jesus wasn't on earth in Palestine going, Thouest Peterest cometh my west. He wasn't. He was speaking the common Greek of the day. I challenge you, maybe if you're having a hard time finding a Bible you understand, I challenge you, go get a New Living Translation, NLT, write it down. Go to your local bookstore, if you can find one, you can't find it anymore, or go to CBD.com. Everyone say CBD. CBD. 
find a personal Bible for you. Give your children the advantage of understanding. Feel these pages. I understand we got electronic Bibles and stuff. Give them a Bible. Give them something they can taste and smell. You know, there is never a better smell than the Bible. My mom and dad gave me my Bible in Christmas 1991. Still have it. It's shredded. And gave me this one to replace that one. The New Spirit Life Bible by my hero of the faith, Jack Hayford. If you don't have a Bible, get one. And I'm not talking about coffee table Bibles that your great-grandma gave you that you never touched because they 84 pounds. Get a translation you understand and appreciate. Dive into this. Make it yours. Make it personal. And then I challenge you with that to write a note to yourself in there about what you want in your life, what you want God to do. Start highlighting a Bible verse. Write notes about Bible verses. You do not have to be a theologian to get into the Bible and get to know God. You don't need Bible college. Seminaries are messing folks up nowadays anyways. But make sure, parents, that your home is becoming a church. Here's why. Rod Dreyer goes on to write, A monastery keeps outside its walls people and things that are inimical to its purposes, which is to form its members to Christ for families. This means... Limiting media. Especially television and online media. Both to keep unsuitable content out and to prevent dependence on electronic media. We are all dependent, aren't we? It is also important for parents to do the same themselves. True, adults should not be expected to keep their movie and TV watching at the level of children. But neither should they feel free to watch whatever they like. Too much exposure to morally compromising material will over time... Dull one's moral instincts. You think right now in the church that we have a problem with Bible knowledge and access to what we need information? We don't have a problem with that, folks. We don't have a problem with doing church. What we have a problem with is in our homes, we are morally incompetent. We don't even define what's right and wrong anymore. Because Jesus loves us. You think today... In the Western Church, we're morally dull. We don't look at God's laws as laws anymore. We look at God's word as suggestions for our life. Folks, I want to tell you, by the way, when you start to do this with your home, and maybe you're doing this right now, and it's a beautiful thing. Husbands, I challenge you this. I challenge my leadership, even my elders today. If you haven't prayed with your spouse once this week, here's what I want you to do. Okay? Ready for this? Yes, sir. Ask her to forgive you. Number one. And number two, close your eyes, hold her hand, draw her in, and pray a blessing over your wife. And then give her the biggest kiss you've ever given her. Your complaining will stop. And your 
joy will return as you make it a habit. By the way, in our culture today, don't apologize for being different. Do you think Joshua had to be different in order to go into this promised land? Do you think he had to be different? I think so. Because he had to live by commands, not in Egypt, where you just worshipped whatever you wanted and did whatever you wanted. Jesus still loves you back there in Egypt. But don't apologize for being different. Turn real quick to Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Young one today, put this on your forehead. When you're going to school and you're different than everyone else, I pray to God you are different. We live in a wacko world, don't we? This is your life to live by God's standards for you. Don't do everything else everyone is doing. You want to be like Joshua and you want to pass the baton on? Then this is your verse. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that He will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship God. Do not copy the behaviors and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you what? Think. Hmm. Then you will learn how to know God's will for you, which is good and perfect and pleasing. You know, I've said this before, and we've heard this before. Folks, we got a lot of unlearning to do. We've got a lot about of this thinking that we thought we knew, and say, God, I want to learn how to think properly in the context of America and where it sits today. I don't want to conform anymore to the behaviors, the way people dress, the way people talk, the way people do things. I want to live my life according to your standard. I don't want to be morally dull anymore, folks. I want a person to be a person who's transformed. Girls, I challenge you at school and stuff. I know we have uniforms and things, but if they don't have uniforms, dress modestly, will you please? Don't dress according to the code of the world. You know, we always talk about this at the house and stuff with rating system. If we base what we watch purely on what they told us we can watch, folks, it is absolutely crazy. Osgidus writes, Advanced Modernity produces a proliferating range of choices through which we reduce all serious choices to a level of non-committal and non-binding preferences for the moment. Folks, I think in the church what we have today is we've got a lot of non-committed Christians. Not in our church. But in the world at large, the Western culture, we have non-committed believers. We have people kind of doing what they want, go to church and they want, do whatever they want. They're not committed to anything. They're not bound by anything. What did Jesus have to say about this real quick? Let's get to the Jesus loves me, Jesus. Want to do that? Matthew 12. I know we're not running down the aisles right now, folks, but this is good for us. I want to be hot and full of passion. I want to be filled with the fire of God, and I want to have passion at home for the things of God. I want to be passionate about the things of God for my family and my church. I want to be invested in this thing. Matthew 12, verse 30 says, Anyone who isn't with me opposes me. 
Jesus loves me. And anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. That he, that, that's quite a conversation there. Today this is happening, Os Guinness writes, when this happens, the middle ground vanishes. See, in the church right now, we have kind of this middle ground. And we'll have little, I've seen at churches where they have these little cards, commitment cards, they call them. The most confusing thing I've ever seen. Like where you're at in your faith, and they have like 14 different categories. I go, wow, what am I feeling like today? Well, I feel kind of interested in God, but not quite because I'm seeing about this and that. I'm, I'm, I'm going to check this box today. You're either for me or you're against me is what it boils down to. You know, what we want to do is we want to do like, remember, remember when the Israelites, I forgot who it was, came up to him and said, whose side are you on? And the angel of the Lord says, I'm not, it's not about me, it's about what side you're on. Amen. See, with our life, we need to commit ourselves to Christ and bind ourselves to him and say, God, it doesn't matter what my opinions and thoughts about this are. Folks, I want to be committed to Christ and I don't, I don't want to be fighting against you, God. I want to be with you in this all the way. I want to live my life according to your word. Joshua, bind this word to your heart. Folks, I want to ask you today, are you non-committed? Os Guinness writes, can Christian faith regain its spiritual and theological and cultural solidarity so that it stands impervious to such trends, so that no black hole will swallow it? When we remain uncommitted to God's call and walking in obedience to him, folks, let me tell you what happens. It's really simple. We cut ourselves off from God's blessing for our life. When we are non-committed and we don't want to give certain things up to Him, we cut off the partnership side of it and say, God, I refuse this blessing because I refuse to obey Your Word for my life. It's that real. Here's what happens in our lives. They call it Ichabod. Glory. 1 Samuel 4, 19-22, the Philistines had taken the ark of God. They captured the ark, and this woman had a baby, and she named the baby Ichabod, which means the glory has left us. And folks, I think what's happening in the church, and what's happening in America, and we're going to have to get back to, is an idea or a thought about who God was, the passion, the zeal, the momentum, and Ichabod happened, and many churches, the very presence of God isn't even there right now because nobody's honoring God with their lives. I want the glory to return to our homes, folks, don't you? You want the glory back in your home? Then submit yourself to God and His patterns. You want the glory of God back in your home? Then grab someone's hand, your children's hand, and pray blessings over them. You want the glory of God back in your home? See what the Word of God says about your situation and wake up. You want the glory of God at school? Then you choose to say, I am not copying the patterns of this world any longer. I am choosing to take a stand for the things of God for my life. Sandra, if you want to come up and start playing... Why don't we just close our eyes for a moment?
What a beautiful song right now. This is one of those lines in the sand moments for your life. Because you can't leave here today and say, I didn't know. I don't get it. You can't leave here today saying, I don't understand. Nobody told me. We can't leave here today. This is a charge for us. And loved one, if you want to see revival, if you want to see a movement, you're going to have to get passionate and you're going to have to grab the ephod and, and you're going to have to say, God, do you want me to go after this? Today, I'm not going to have us raise our hands where you're at. We are going to accept the call today. And I want us to stand where we're at. And if you feel God's calling you first things and the first and foremost thing I want to ask, if today you're hearing the call of Christ and you say, I haven't been a follower with Jesus Christ, God says, if you honor me before men, I will, I will honor you before the Father. If you recognize me before men, I will recognize you before the Father. Today I want you to be a person to say, I want to be recognized as a follower of Jesus Christ. I want his plan and his purpose in my life. I want to have success. And by the way, this success isn't necessarily in the form of homes and cars and raises at work. This is a success and a happiness understanding that you have internal significance and that you've been created with a purpose for such a time as this. You say, I want Jesus Christ in my life. I don't know him today. On the count of three, I want to ask you just to stand up for your right and say, I'm going to be accounted for. I want Jesus Christ in my life. Today, if that's you, why don't you stand up? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God's handing you a baton. He's handing you a torch. And as you hand this, if he hands this off to you, God will give you the ability to hand it off to the next person. And you in life, as you go through, and you might be experiencing setbacks right now and some horrible things that I don't understand and I don't get either. But I will say this, that God allows us to have victory even when we face some of the greatest defeats of our life. Today, why don't we all pray this together. Dear Jesus, I thank you for giving me the torch. I choose today to lead. And I'm going to follow after you, after your example, 
I am applying myself to you, Father. To your word and to your commands. Forgive me, God, for the times that I haven't been committed. Help me to commit with your strength, not my own. So I can have victory. Help me to apply your word to my heart so that I won't sin against you. I give you this day right now, this opportunity, in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, we got Joshua's here today. We have Joshua's here today. Why don't we just all stand? I'm going to pray a blessing over everyone's homes here today. Father God, I thank you for this house of faith. We at Turning Point are unapologetic of our faith in Christ. And we're unapologetic of the command given through Scripture. And we choose today, as we all stand, to follow after you, Christ. And we don't want to lean on our understanding anymore so that we can learn to think properly again. Thank you, God, for our homes. Thank you, God, for the faith that you've given to us. And thank you, God, for victory. For we have decided to follow Jesus. Amen. Amen. Sandra, can we just sing that really quick? You can lead us. One time before we leave, I love you.